The regulations behind stablecoins is one of the most controversial topics in the crypto world right now. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done to really protect the investing public. Regulators and the Biden administration have their eye on them, warning that stablecoins threaten financial stability. But what if the current debate over stablecoin regulations is missing a vital piece of information? There are a couple banks that want to try to do this and the Federal Reserve has basically stonewalled them. Thomas is senior research faculty at AIER, formerly the chief economist for the US Senate Committee on Banking, Housing and Urban Affairs. What if a little known loophole that's been around for decades totally changes the game? We're going to talk about just that. So, you know, I think that there is almost certainly going to be um, some stuff coming out about stablecoin regulation. I think partially I say that because there's a lot of sort of noise around it. Now we see that with SBF, FTX, all of the things that have happened, the regulators and the Biden administration are going crazy. They're saying, you know, we need to regulate this as quickly as possible. This has kind of unveiled all of these insecurities around crypto. Um, and so it seems that regulators are looking to go after particularly stable coins because this is like the low hanging fruit. Um, so you wrote an article recently about this, but uh, more specifically on a certain loophole that exists within the existing banking system. And you argue that banks could already issue stable coins. So uh, am I missing anything? Does that pretty much summarize your article? Yeah, that's right. So there, there's a lot of controversy right now about what we should do with the crypto industry. And there's a lot of pressure to get more regulation. And I think that in some of the areas, it's actually going to take a little bit of time to figure out what the best way to regulate this is and what Congress wants to do about it. But the one area where we're very likely to see regulation immediately is about stable coins. And that's something that some of the regulators have labeled as a systemic risk that stable coins uh, are used outside of the crypto industry industry more than other types of crypto. And therefore, if there's a problem with stable coins, it can spread to other parts of the financial system. And so there have mm. been several, um, several pr proposals already about how stable coins should be regulated. But uh, I think that there's something that those proposals are missing. That is, it's actually already legal for banks to issue their own banknotes. And therefore, if they can issue paper banknotes, they can presumably issue digital banknotes in the form of stable coins as well. And I think a lot of the bills are not written with that understanding because a lot of people, even the regulators themselves, may not even know about that. Right. So that's a really, really big point. So this is an economist named Schuler who used to work at the Fed. Kurt, Kurt Schuler works at the Department of the Treasury. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And he uh, wrote an article back in 2001 where he looked at the regulations of the banking system. And, and actually, it was a bit of a surprise because what happened was that in the in, from the 1970s through the 1990s, we had some reforms of the banking system that were uh, allowing more competition in the banking system. Banking used to be mostly done at the state level and they were opening it up so that you could have national banking and more federal regulation of banking. Mm -hmm. And when they repealed some of the state laws uh, 
they, I think unintentionally, took away some of the restrictions that prevented banks from issuing paper banknotes. Um, and so Kurt Schuler has this article about how some of the laws that had previously prevented the issuance of banknotes had been repealed in the, from the 1970s to the 1990s. Um, and so, you know, as far as he could tell, it appeared to be legal for banks to issue their own currency. Uh, there has more recently been an, a, a white paper by um, the Clearinghouse, which is a bank organization, that found the same thing about stablecoins, that there's actually no laws that are preventing banks from issuing stablecoins. And so it seems to me that all these legislative proposals about how we should regulate uh, the crypto industry and specifically stablecoins are missing a big picture point that it's actually already legal right now. And this is basically because stablecoins and banknotes are kind of interchangeable. That's right. Most of the stablecoins right now um, are issued by companies that are uh, creating them as liabilities that are similar to the way banknotes would work. So, so there's a couple of different types of stablecoins. Stable mm -hmm. um, some are algorithmic, which just means they have a sort of uh, computer program that is going to try to stabilize the, the rate. And that has not worked out very well. There have been a couple of those that have failed. Mm -hmm. Because all a stablecoin really means is that it's a cryptocurrency linked to some type of asset. So that could be there are a few that are linked to the price of gold or the price of oil. Yeah. But most of them are tied to the price of the U.S. dollar. Right. And so most of the companies that are issuing those stablecoins, what they do is they say, this is like an electronic dollar that is redeemable for a real U.S. dollar. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. And so that's basically just like a bank note. That's what banks used to do is they would issue some note that you could come in and redeem for some asset like gold or, or you know, U.S. dollar or something else. And so, you know, somebody who's in the crypto space could kind of see that those have different values, like the ones that are connected to some kind of algorithmic backing. Maybe those are kind of trying to imitate Bitcoin. Um I don't know. That's what well, it sounds the, like the, to me. The algorithmic ones, uh, the famous ones, were also supposed to be tied to the U.S. dollar, but weren't because their algorithms didn't work very well. Ah, and so those okay. it, those ended up failing. In fact, there was a big one, um, Terra Luna. Terra oh, ended yes. up collapsing, and that that was one of the biggest failures so far in the crypto industry was right. that token. Um, but that wasn't a token that was redeemable for U.S. dollars in the way that the other major stable coins are. Like which ones? So uh, Tether is the most well-known, mm -hmm. um, and they're the biggest right now in terms of issuance. Uh, there's another one that is USDC, and both Terra and USDC are redeemable for regular US dollars. And so they're financial companies that promise that they will redeem whatever currency for dollars. Um, there's another major one called DAI that is actually redeemable for other types of cryptocurrency. Mm. And so that's a little bit different. That's not quite the same. You know, if we're talking about whether banks could issue currency, it would presumably be for US dollars. And so, you know, right. the most similar ones are, are Terra and USD. And so we were talking earlier off camera about, you know, why stable coins can be valuable for people. Like, for example, if they want to exchange money cross border, like into countries right. where it would be harder to actually either illegal to bring in a U.S. dollar. Uh, can you explain yeah. that a bit? Sure. So one of the advantages to 
uh, Bitcoin is that it's not linked to the U.S. government or to any other government, right? But mm-hmm. um, but that means that relative to U.S. dollars, it's very volatile. Mm-hmm. And so for people that want the advantages of using an ele- electronic currency without the volatility that you get from Bitcoin, they want something that's tied to some other currency. And the most common one is the U.S. dollar. I mean, both in terms of stable coins, but also in terms of international transactions. You know, the dollar is widely used all over the world, not just in the United States. Um, and so it dominates a lot of international exchange. And for the same reason, um, dollars are widely used for stable coins. And so that's why, you know, these, these major uh, cryptocurrencies, if somebody wants a cryptocurrency with the advantages of being able to easily transact, very low cost, you can do it without sending a check through your bank where you have to wait several days to clear, but especially between countries, then they can link the, they can use these dollar linked stable coins that have the value of the US dollar, but all the uh, benefits of being electronic. So as you mentioned, this is a big advantage for people that are outside the United States. You know, it's nice in the United States for people that just want a more stable currency, but in a lot of other countries, they really can't trust their government to maintain a stable currency. I mean, we complained about the United States. We're having a lot of inflation right now, but in a lot of countries, it's much, much, much worse. And not only that... um, So, you know, one problem is that those countries have a lot of inflation. In a lot of countries, it's, it's illegal for people to own U.S. dollars. Um, or they might be in a situation where they're under political pressure and they want to use something that their government doesn't allow, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so these uh, these stable coins give them the benefit of being able to use electronic currency and the stability of having it tied to the dollar, which is going to be a lot better than, than what they're getting in their other country. Well, this is interesting because the director of the IMF often talks about how CBDC or, you know, government or, or a central bank issued stable coins is another way that they describe a CBDC, uh, would fix that problem. Like they, you know, but yet at the same time, you have regulators coming to uh, take this low hanging fruit and basically, are they just trying to kind of cut off the competition? Is that how you see it? So, yeah. Uh, so I think... Um if the IMF really wanted that currency that was good for people in, in less developed countries, then they would be in favor of stable coins instead of uh, central bank digital currencies. So the central bank digital currencies, you know, we, we've seen several countries propose it. The United States currently has proposed, we're doing studies, we're not actually creating anything yet. And so it's not clear what type of um, central bank digital currency we would have. Mm-hmm. Um, but some other countries have already implemented uh, these types of CBDCs. And the most well-known one is China. Mm-hmm. China has a widely used central bank digital currency. And the Chinese government controls it, and they use it to control their people. They monitor all the transactions of everyone in China that's using the CBDC. Yeah. And you know, China already wants to be able to pressure their population. And so they can use the CBDC to get people to um, you know, not do things that they don't want them to do. They can't do things that are politically unpopular. They can't buy things the government doesn't want them to buy. Mm-hmm. They can potentially 
penalize people by taking their money away or not allowing them to use that money. And so yeah. for people that want the government to control the monetary system and be able to control their people, mm-hmm. then that's a great tool. Uh, but for people that don't want that, you know, it's not clear why you would want that rather than a stable coin. Yeah. You know, a stable coin is going to be privately provided and it's going to have the benefits of being linked to the value of the dollar without the problems of constant monitoring and constant intrusion from the government. Um, the IMF has actually push some countries away from using cryptocurrency. They've been pressuring um, Ecuador, which has adopted the Bitcoin as legal tender. They've been pressuring Argentina. When they were giving Argentina loans recently, they were right. trying to pressure them to not to to not use crypto. And that's how they pressure them, right? They say like, here, we'll give you a massive loan, but then you have to follow our rules. Right, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, on the other hand, it seems like, if they really cared about these countries and the people in these countries having a good currency that they could use, you know, allowing a dollar stable coin would be better for those countries and potentially better for the United States as well. You know, one of the criticisms in the United States is that uh, it might take power away from the Federal Reserve, but really I think it would extend the power. You know, when we talk about dollar dominance, we're thinking about how much is the United States dollar used outside of the United States. Mm-hmm. Can we have some political influence in these other countries because of the power of our dollar? A a stable coin based on U.S. dollars extends that because then it gives access to all these people that can't use dollars right now to be able to use the dollar to become uh, more influenced by the dollar's value. And for the companies that are issuing that, if they have to hold U.S. dollars as currency in order to redeem it, it means they're going to be holding more dollars, right? right? And so this, you know, could potentially if for people that are in favor of dollar dominance and the right. you know extent of the Fed, then that's maybe something that's, that's good for them. That's a very good point, actually, because I know that there are some other jurisdictions, you know, in the EU and even in Russia, for example, that are talking about. Um, so the EU, I believe, are talking about a basket of currencies to use with their CBDCs, and then you have. Russia who are like, well, we're going to back our money to gold. Uh, and, and there's like, you know, th- so it's almost like, you know, there's this currency war that's happening right now. Right. And it sounds like in a way it would be a smarter decision for the United States to kind of do what was in their best interest, you know, to keep their status, even if that meant that they would be able to to wield less control in kind of monopolizing that um, the money. Right. Yeah, the, there have been um, constant proposals about uh, what other countries are going to do <clears throat> and how they could overtake the U.S. dollar. Right. And, you know, s- since uh, from from after World War II until 1971, we we're on the Bretton Woods system of international fixed exchange rates. And so that was a fixed system that was based on a link to the value of gold that was an international exchange system. And so, you know, it wasn't like... Um, so, so the values of their currencies were fixed between countries, but the U.S. dollar pay, played a dominant role in that because it was the only one that you could really redeem for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we, even then, even though we were in a fixed exchange rate system, the dollar had a, a bit of a privileged position. And then after going off the, that system in 1971, the dollar became more dominant. There was talk after the formation of the euro that, well, maybe the euro is going to rival the United States mm-hmm. um, and that they were going to be even you know more widely used. And that definitely did not happen. Um, there's been talk for years that maybe China would overtake the United States and, you know, their international trade would become the dominant factor, but people just don't trust China and don't, you know, 
consider them to have a valuable currency re- relative to the United States. Um, and so now there's proposals that maybe China or Russia or someone else is going to create a system that's linked to gold, mm-hmm. you know, an international gold standard. But I just don't believe that because mm. the gold standard requires strong property rights and China and Russia are not known for strong property rights. Um, and so I think that that's, that's pretty unlikely. That's a very good point. That's I, a very good point. Yeah. And, and why does it require those strong property rights? I mean, you have to believe that whatever currency you have is going to be redeemable for gold. Right. Mm. And so if that country is going to hold all the gold and you have to be able to take the currency and redeem it, they might just say, sorry, we're not giving it back. We're not giving you the gold. Right. You know, investors, right. foreign investors in China already worry about how are they going to get their money out? What if China imposes more capital controls? China has a lot of restrictions on what you can do with your money if you're a foreign investor. And so I don't see any reason that people would actually trust China. Um, and for the same reason, Russia, yeah. you know, to um, have a redeemable gold standard. So people are saying that, but but I, uh, I don't really buy so it. So you don't think it's really a threat? Like, do you think that the Fed sees that as a threat? Or do you think that they might tend to think more like you on this topic? So I... I um, so the Federal Reserve is mostly concerned with domestic issues and not with foreign issues. Congress, I think, is more concerned, you know, foreign relations is a political issue. Mm-hmm. And so I think Congress is more concerned with the, the effects of the dollar abroad. Um, the Fed is definitely involved with that and makes loans to other countries. We have, we have uh, um, facilities where other countries can borrow dollars from the United States that they might need it for foreign exchange or for other reasons. And so the Fed is, is involved with that to some degree. There are other countries that use the U.S. dollar um, exclusively as, as their currency. For example, Panama mm. doesn't have a central bank, right. just uses U.S. dollars. And we actually print physical dollars and ship them to Panama for them to use, right? And so we do facilitate that and help them use that. And I think, you know, from, I think some people at the Fed at least are aware that, look, allowing stable coins is just going to increase that dollar dominance in the same way that allowing other countries to dollarize does, you know, just giving them an electronic one instead of a a paper one. So then why, you know, all of this being said, why then are regulators and the Biden administration going after stablecoin as this quote low hanging fruit? Right. So the the worry that they're saying is about financial stability. Um sometimes it's a little bit hard to interpret whether that's really what they're going after here. You know, because everything that's bad, they're going to say, oh, it's a risk to financial stability, even when it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of a, it's kind of a, an excuse that they use sometimes to regulate things. Um, but I think some of, them, some of them do believe that, well, look, we just had a couple of collapses in the crypto industry. What if this had been a collapse that had really affected the regular financial system? If we allow stable coins to become more common, if people are using them for regular financial transactions, then this is going to be something that when there's another crypto problem, that'll spill over into the financial system. And well, so that's at least the reasoning behind trying yeah, to Yeah, but, but you know, it sounds to me like they're just using those examples as a reason to kind of pursue the agenda that they already had in mind anyways. Yeah, so that, that might be the case. And, um, I, you know, it's hard to judge 
manage people's motivation. Right. But but another reason that I think is because they misinterpret the history that we have of the U.S. banking system before the Fed. So when we had privately issued banknotes, it turns out that that system actually was very stable when we had different banks competing and competition was able to discipline the system even better than what we've had under the Fed in terms of the low right. inflation. So over that was pre-Fed yeah. and then kind of dwindling out after the Fed was created, right? Yeah, and so people look at, that, at the pre-Fed system and think that it was... Um, First of all, unstable in terms of the banking system. And so they worry now about, well, crypto is just going to continue to be unstable. If we let banks issue cryptocurrency, they're going to not be safe. Um, and then also about the value of the currency. And they don't understand how you know competitive system can lead to better outcomes than we have with the central bank. How does it do it? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's funny because the... Uh, in, in every other industry, if you ask an economist, what's the best thing the market could do? You know, how do we how do we get to a good market outcome? And they would say competition. Mm -hmm. We have lots of buyers and sellers and they're going to compete and that's going to lead to the best possible price, except in terms of money. For some reason, in terms of money, they, they want a monopoly right. and they want the government to run that monopoly. These are both things that in any other industry you would say, no, 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 we don't want the government running this industry. We don't want a single monopoly in this industry. But for some reason, in terms of money, they want both of those. Right. But what we previously had, so the Fed was founded in 1913. For most of U.S. history, we had private banks that issued banknotes usually redeemable for gold. And so people would deposit their gold at the bank and the bank would give them a piece of paper that says, okay, you can come back with this piece of paper anytime and we'll give you your gold. Yeah. And so there are different reasons they would want to do that. You know, one is because the, the banks were probably more protected than keeping your gold at home under your mattress. Um, but also you don't want to carry gold around and you don't want to have to go into a store and they get out the scale and you got to weigh it or right. they, maybe you have it uh, minted into coins and they have to inspect every single coin. If you can just give them a piece of paper from the bank and they trust that bank and they know they can go get their gold later, then that's probably better. It was better. more efficient. In right, exactly. Yeah. And so what we find, you know, what we saw historically was that we had banks issuing notes that were redeemable for gold. Um, in some cases, it would be, you know, the, there's one bank in the town and they do all the issuing. But in a lot of cases, there would be multiple banks all issuing their own banknotes, all redeemable for gold. And a lot of times they even accepted each other's banknotes. So, you know, if you've issued a banknote, I'm as a bank going to accept it because yeah. I know I can get the gold from you. Yeah. And in fact, that's Trust what they did. Trust between the banks. They, they had a clearing system for banknotes in the same way that we clear checks today. You right. Know, you write a check and you deposit it in another bank. It's not like I, my, you know, Bank of America, I can only write you a check that you have to come back to Bank of America to redeem. Mm -hmm. You deposit it in your bank and your bank will call Bank of America and have them transfer over the funds, right? That's that's exactly yeah. what happened in terms of bank notes. You know, you would take the bank, take take another bank's note, deposit it in your bank, and then they would settle the gold amounts between them. But then over time, and this is a parallel that I found when I was reading your article and then, you know, reading about Schuler and then going kind of, you know, into some other uh, related topics, was that over time, that system was basically degraded in a couple of ways, which I chalk up to um, the decoupling from the gold standard under FDR, uh, the domestic gold standard. And then after that, basically through more and more regulation, kind of the Fed creating this monopoly where I think by the 70s, there was only $20 million or so right. that was left circulating with these private banknotes. And then after that, it just kind of disappeared. 
But then Schuler discovered that, hey, there's actually this loophole, right? <laughs> right. So we've had this constant march of regulation over history, just more and more and more constantly through U.S. history. Mm-hmm. Um, and each time, that's made it a little bit harder for banks to compete and made our money you know, potentially a little bit less reliable and um, you know, kind of still happening today in terms of like what we're seeing that the regulators don't want these banks to be issuing the new technology, the new right, types of banknotes. Right. But yeah, so um, so in the pre World War II, uh, sorry, pre Civil War period, so you know up to up to eighteen the early eighteen sixties, um, banking was mostly regulated at the state level, and so states had different laws about how many banks they could have. And some, sometimes this period is called the free banking period because there were several states where it was very easy to open a bank. You know, some states it's very difficult. You had to like petition Congress and get them to pass a law that give you a bank charter. Mm. And every time a bank wanted to do that, they had to go to Congress. But in other states, they basically had a general law. It was like getting a business license. You just sign up and boom, you can open a bank, right? And so those states had very competitive banking systems that functioned well, that were able to grow more because there was more finance in the state. And so, you know, it's interesting. We can look back at these different systems and compare them. And it turns out the ones that were competitive were very successful. Um, Then when the Civil War happened, the federal government took a stronger role in the banking system in a couple of ways. First of all, the the federal government issued um, their own banknotes the government did these were um, greenbacks this is where the term mm. greenback came from huh. uh, and the um, banks that were that were previously regulated at the state level the federal government tried to move all that to national the national level so they could be nationally regulated and so they put a they put a tax on state banks that was made it almost impossible for them to issue banknotes because it was so expensive and then on the national banks they um, they taxed them a little bit but they also forced them to hold US government bonds so that they could you know support the war right and so oh, the, right, so the banks right. had to, had to hold the US government bonds but then they could issue notes mm. um, so we had the, we had banks we had national banknotes from the Civil War until the founding of the Fed in 1913. In 1913, the Federal Reserve starts to issue national notes. And we talk about them, we talk about the Fed as a monopoly on banknotes. Um, but as Schuler points out, it wasn't a technical monopoly. There wasn't a law that said only the Federal Reserve can issue banknotes. They did the same thing that they did to the state banks, where they they put a tax on the federal banks and they just you know made it incrementally harder. Harder and harder for those national banks to issue notes until it was only the Fed doing it, right? right. And so that's why, like you said, yes. you know, the the national banks had still issued all these notes, but the amount of notes went down and down and down over time until there was only a few million left, and the the Federal Reserve just became dominant. And so they didn't have a stated legal monopoly; they had this implicit monopoly. Right. And so that's why, when those laws were repealed, again, it it wasn't illegal for the banks to issue notes. It was just so expensive that they couldn't do it because of all the regulations. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when those regulations were repealed in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, then suddenly it became the case that, okay, so those laws no longer apply, those taxes no longer apply. Now banks can issue currency. But it went largely unnoticed though, right? Like did yeah. people start acting differently? or was No, this- no, there, there are basically no banks doing that today, right? There are no banks, to my knowledge, that issue paper bank notes. Right. Um, there are a couple of sort of local bank experiments. 
Um, we have one here in the Berkshires, a bank that issues, or I don't think they do it anymore, but for a little while they they issued a banknote called the Berkshire. There's another one called Ithaca Hours out of Ithaca, New York. Hmm. Um, and those have been like like quasi-legal things, not really regulated, um, but no banks that have really tried to do it on a large scale. And so even though it's been technically legal mm-hmm. you know i think i think the regulated i think this was unintentional i think that when some of these regulations were repealed the regulators just didn't even think about banks issuing notes and so no banks have really gone out and tried to issue their own notes um partly because they don't know about it but mm-hmm. also because they're just afraid of regulation if they do the government will come in and just wash it and right well that's that's kind of what i was hoping to get to on on stable coins which is that point that i guess this is why um now that now that you've kind of published a piece about this you know maybe it'll get a bit of coverage and then maybe people will find out that they're actually able to issue stable coins already which was kind of the point of your of your piece yes so there are banks that want to issue stable coins right now um, and the regulators are not really letting them do that. So the, the couple of major companies that are doing it right now, um, I think, uh, uh, so USDC uh, Circle is the, the company that issues that, and I believe they're regulated in the United States, um, and, but they're not a bank. Uh, and, and Tether also, I believe Tether is non-U.S., um, and so there are no U.S. banks doing it right now. And so the banking system, you would think, would be the ideal place to do this because they already do what is effectively like issuing. Mm-hmm. You know, they issue deposits. They don't issue banknotes, but they could and they have historically. And so issuing electronic banknotes, you'd think that that should be done by the banking system. And also, you know, it's regulated. If if regular people are worried about the value of those banknotes and if regulators themselves are worried about spillovers into the financial system, then having Having banks doing it is potentially the best place. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so there are a couple banks that want to try to do this. Uh, specifically, um, Wyoming is a state that has been very friendly to the crypto industry and has allowed banks to hold crypto. Um, and so some of those banks uh, are trying to move to national charters or at least get access to the Federal Reserve. Um, There's been one that's pushing to try to get a Fed master account, and the Federal Reserve has basically stonewalled them and not given them an answer and not told them if it's legal or not what they want to do. And so we're in this kind of... And that's important, actually, because that's just kind of like dragging out the process, right? And making it so that, well, we're not going to answer the question. Yeah. So the regulators have have been very hesitant to give official regulations. What they've done instead is pressured the banks informally not to get involved with crypto, told them it's risky and that they, you know, behind the scenes that their uh, ratings would not do as well and they might be cited or mm-hmm. something like that. And so, um, so yeah, they should be doing this in a very clear uh, manner. Regular regulations from the financial regulators, the Fed, the FDIC, the OCC, they go through a notice and comment process where the regulators propose a rule, make it public, get feedback from the public, and then finalize it. And instead of going through that regular process, they're just kind of pushing and stonewalling and telling the banks behind the scenes, no, this is a bad idea, you shouldn't be involved. Maybe they're biding their time, though, because, you know, if they have these ideas that they would like to issue their own stable coins or their own CBDC, well, then maybe that's just kind of a way of pushing that away and so that they can focus on that. And then, you know, in the meanwhile, um, 
go for that low-hanging fruit and see if they could kind of regulate it into oblivion before it has a chance to really take off. Is that yeah, possible? Uh, uh, the uh, the question of what the Fed wants to do about a CBDC is probably part of this that they don't really know yet and haven't decided, and that might provide some clarity. Um, but I think also the... I think even the, the banks and the Federal Reserve themselves just aren't aware of this idea that, look, this is basically legal, that they should be allowed to do this. Um, and so some acknowledgement, first of all, we need to like make that known. You know, I'm glad we're getting to talk about this here. Yeah. I, you know, I hope viewers will understand um, what an interesting and important this is- issue this is that, hey, people need to know about this. Um, but some clarity from the regulators that, yes, this is legal or no, we're going to create some law that, that prevents this from happening. We're going to regulate it in some way. Um, or from Congress. There, there were several proposed stablecoin uh, pieces of legislation last year that would have clarified this. But those pieces of legislation, too, were basically creating a new system, not understanding that this is something that's already legal. And so I think the, the legislation, in fact, could actually just be much simpler and clearer and just say, you know, we affirm that this is legal possibly requiring the banks to hold higher uh, reserves or something like that if mm. we're worried about this being a redemption issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but yeah, that could be done in, a, in an easy way. And I think we're likely to get some legislation this year about stable coins. And I hope Congress will you know acknowledge that this is something that banks are allowed to do and clear the path for them to move forward with bank-issued stable coins. Right. I think it would be really important for Congress to understand that there's already a framework for it and that it's already can operate legally within that framework um, rather than just kind of jumping the gun and 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 moving on in the debate without knowing a crucial fact. Yeah, there's no reason to add a bunch more useless regulations here. So some of the proposals are that we should create these whole new agencies that are going to regulate all of crypto. And one of the things that they're going to do is stable coins. Um, and I really don't think a lot of that stuff is necessary, especially in this case where it's something that really fits into the existing buckets that we have. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel. There's no reason to pile on a bunch of new bureaucracy and things that are going to slow this industry down. Mm-hmm. Um, if banks are able to do this in a safe way and create value for their customers, whether foreign or domestic, you know, create stable coins that could be useful for people around the world, mm-hmm. I think that would be a huge advantage. Well, I think that we've pretty much covered what what we needed to cover today. I mean, there's still more points that you get to in your article, so I suggest that people go read that as well. Um, but are there any last thoughts that you have? So I think that the crypto industry is doing this already, but a, a little bit. But I think that there's a ton to be learned about the financial system before the Federal Reserve. You know, when we think about the gold standard, a lot of cryptocurrencies uh, in the way that they're built to issue new currency are a little bit framed on how the gold standard worked before the Fed in the in terms of there's a limit to how much new coins can be created, so there's a limit on the amount of inflation. I think learning also from the banking system before the Fed, where banks didn't have strong regulation but developed these systems where they regulated each other, where they were safer and didn't overissue and historically had fairly low rates of failure and bank runs and things like that, you know, the, 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 the regulators worry that before the Fed, 
um, that there was a bunch of bank failures and that we're going to get into that situation again. But that's not really true. Uh, we could get into that all, uh, another time. But yeah. I hope that's something that people in the crypto industry will be you know, interested in talking about because that's an area of history that would be really beneficial to learn from. Right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. Great. That went a 36. lot longer. <laughs> 